Thank you for tuning into this episode. Unfortunately, being way out on the dude ranch, reception can get really, really bad. And this is exactly what happened in this particular episode, especially for our guest. There are many times that it is very glitchy and it's very difficult to understand what he is saying. So please bear with us while we work through this technical difficulties way out in the West. I know of a place where you can boot polish your face. There's clean living, friendly cacti, and real cowpoke, where the land is spacious and burritos delicious, and all the horses and coyotes get sunstroke. It's where kids make the rules, because the boss is a fool. The flea-bitten dog is smarter than that dork. But you won't be surprised when you mosey on buys, because this dude ranch is on the first kids' network. Oh, brother. Welcome to Splat Attack, a 90s podcast honoring the slime-filled past. I'm your rootinest, tootinest, rough-riding rancher, Alex. And for today's episode... I don't think we ventured this far west inside Nick territory before. Uh, today, I am in the deserts of Arizona for a reason that is a little wild and a little strange out here on the range. And because we have barely talked about this show so far, I felt it would be a great opportunity to get out of the city and take a nice, relaxing, worry-free trip to the Bar Nun Ranch. Now saddle up for a whole lot of Hey Dude Slimesters, because we're about to rank all 13 episodes of Season 1. Now it's one thing to visit a dude ranch on your own, but since there are so many sights and sounds to experience here, I'm going to head to the check-in office and get a guide. So let me, let me bring the bell over here. Hello? Anyone here? I'm looking for a bunk to stay in for the next hour or so. Well, Mr. Ernst is out to lunch, but I'd be helpful to stay on. Oh, well, that's mighty kind of you. Uh, say, what's your name, Calpoke? Buddy's doing chores, so I'm here to help recruits. I mean, guests. <laughs> Welcome here. Well, good thing we have you here to help show us the ropes. Uh, so, tell us a bit about your background with Hey Dude before we spur ourselves into action. Well, a lot of memories of from back when I was a little, even though it could have been a was on. I just remember it got, got a lot of laughs from me. I remember is how I first learned what the word immature meant. And I remember as a kid, as a kid, my favorite character on the show was Dave, was uh, mainly because I tended to be a kid, I tended to relate to the kid characters on those. Yes, yes. And there's there's actually quite a bit of a speculation about what happened to Danny. Uh the uh the, the not, not necessarily the character, but Joe Torres who played Danny. Uh for anyone who doesn't know, one of the biggest uh, mysteries is what happened to him after the show, because he just kind of disappeared. Uh all the other actors you can find and track and they even had a reunion uh, just a few years ago but joe is he's kind of mia uh and there was actually i'll have to see if i can find it 
but uh, one of the obscure Nickelodeon, I think, was the name of the the uh, Twitter account that I followed. They had actually found a uh, a podcast episode from someone when they actually was able to track down Joe Torres and uh, find out that he's just in his own little. He's off the beaten path. Doesn't really want to be in the limelight, and that's perfectly cool. But yeah, um, I respect that. But much like you, uh, as uh, as a kid, I didn't really watch Hey Dude. Uh, I I remember it being on. I remember enjoying. I loved the theme song. Of course, I would, I would tune in for the theme song. I'd tune in for the very end. But everything that was in the middle, I I don't know if I was just too young for it uh, because I was a bit older than you were. Uh, I was probably about five or six, but I it just didn't resonate with me. And a lot of it was because a lot of the things that they were talking about and doing were for an age demographic slightly older than what I was. Uh, so I just, it never clicked. But when I was an adult and getting back into watching Nickelodeon shows again, and uh, I would start finding the DVDs and try to get an entire Nickelodeon library. And uh, I had a son, uh, which is now my youngest. And my wife, uh, she would, I'd let her sleep. So I would get up for all the one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock feedings. And when I did, I would turn on Hey Dude and just start watching that. So I'd watch an episode while I fed him and then put him back to sleep and then I'd go to sleep. But the first ye few months of his life, I would watch Hey Dude and I was I was glued to this thing. Now as an adult, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's not as um, well respected, I think, as Salute Your Shorts. And I, I can understand that, but uh, for the most part, this is kind of an underrated show and is a lot of fun. And yeah, not, not as Sweet Shorts or Pete, but it's definitely got its moments, got its fun moments, some pretty smart moments, and like I said, less, some surprising kind of fun moments. Yeah, it's, it's a very fun series. Uh, and yeah, not as. Not as good as Salute Your Shorts, not as good as uh, Pete and Pete. Definitely not as good as Pete and Pete. I think Pete and Pete is like top tier uh, comedy show for Nickelodeon. But this this isn't this is pretty good. I mean, this is there's still a lot to enjoy here, which we'll talk about as we go through the episode. And uh, actually, Brett had made some artwork uh, for the show, so I'll, I will share a picture here of his artwork that he had made of Mister Ernst, which is. Any any artwork does the, any artwork that Brett does is always beautiful, and um, Brett also, as all of you know by now, Brett is not uh, going to be able to finish out the rest of the season. But he did go ahead and give me his ratings for the episodes, so we'll, we'll address them as we come to them. Some of them have notes, some of them don't, but all of them have a rating. So we'll we're just going to go right into it, and we'll start with season one, episode one. Day one at the bar none. Uh, the air date for this was July 14th, 1989. It was directed by Ross K. Bagwell Jr. It was written by Alan Goodman. And the basic synopsis is once the group of employees assemble to begin their work at the ranch, Ted finds himself 
failing to impress the new writing instructor, Bradley. Uh, Adam, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on this episode? I'd say, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it before. It's a pretty solid pilot episode. I mean, it introduces the characters pretty well. We each did their, each of dates pretty well. I mean, you know, Danny's little kid us we see uh, Ernest as the basically awkward uh, dork. Now we see Ted, Ted as the conceited fist, who generally means well. You know, Betty Heart of Gold. Brad, a little little where she's coming from. And I, I really like the scene in the end where where uh, Ted thinks a little of, of Brad's writings, but then she ends up break, breaking, successfully breaking that, that wild horse. Uh, the way, the way that scene was edited of her taming it was, I thought, honestly, really That's just when I'll cover of the theme song, too, when she's doing it. Yes, yes, there is. It's such a nice little rendition of it. Um, and I agree with you. Uh, the... Um, one of the biggest complaints that I I think I've seen about Hey Dude is it just seems like nothing happens. They're they're all just kind of sitting around talking throughout almost every episode. But there's actually a pretty decent amount, and that being one of them, uh, with uh, Ted trying to tame the really not quite wild animal, but a very very wild still regardless horse, and um, how Bradley can just calm it very very quickly uh what do you rate this episode what is your what does it hit on your rating scale i'd say probably well, like brett us is flat standing flat standing well i will go ahead and tell you all uh brett's ranking because uh, as adam just said he had a double s for this one he did have some notes for it uh brett said that he loved how it sets the stage for the series with the opening shot and all the staff meeting each other right from the get-go. You understand everyone's unique personalities. And he loved Brad and Ted's ongoing rivalry, which is established here, along with Melody's sweetness, Danny's wisdom, Buddy's innocence, Lucy's level-headedness, and Mr. Ernst's goofy ambition. Uh, this is how a first episode is done right. Love it and love rewatching it. And uh, I, I, I don't know why. Uh, it seems like he and I are, I don't want to say polar opposite this uh, throughout most of this episode, uh, because polar opposite would be like, no, I would have this as an F. But it seems like we alternate between the S and the A categories a lot, because uh, I'm very, very picky. But uh, I really do enjoy this pilot episode, uh, much like both you and Brett. I agree that I think that perfectly establishes all of the characters. Uh, I like how they have a little bit of adventure at the end, but um, there's nothing about this episode that really stands out as fantastic pilots uh, among all the other Nick pilots that we've had. Uh, so it doesn't reach my S tier, but it's definitely an A tier for me. So I give this as a splat Uh Episode two, we're just going to fly right through. Episode two, Battle of the Sexes. This came out July 21st, 1989. Uh, also directed by Ross K. Batman Jr. 
and the writer is Michael B. Kaplan. The general synopsis is Ted and Brad declare war against each other to determine which gender is the best of the West through a series of tasks that may be better fit for either a male or a female. Uh, what is your thoughts on this episode? One thing I, I like, Zach, is uh, actually something that's, that separates from when uh, when shows today, especially shows as the kids would try and do, do that battle of sex trope, is you know, usually they portray one side as being superior. Modern shows used to portray one as being superior, usually the girls. I mean, yeah, girl power and all, but yeah, it's getting kind of tired and in all the wrong way, it can send a bad <laughs> message. But I like but I like that with, with this particular episode, you know, it, it doesn't go that way. It, you know, it, they, they they both lads kind, kind of uh, miss the mark in their own ways, and they both decide to, de- to declare it a tie, you know, recognizing that they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. I'd say that was a pretty pretty darn good way of handling that kind of storyline. So where does this hit your uh, ranking? For the ranking, I'd say probably Splatsland. Okay. That is an A. Yeah, and I thought I'd say it also gets a lot of humor points, especially for lines like uh, the cupcakes from the Black Lagoon. Our casserole is clearly better than your cupcakes from the Black Lagoon. Okay, okay, let's see. Brett, uh, his his comment for this episode is the infamous Danny asks about everyone's birthday episode. <laughs> I've been hinting about birthdays all week because tomorrow's his birthday. And I've just been pretending not to notice because tomorrow I'm really planning a surprise party for him in the bunk. When's your birthday? Do you know? Oh, no, I don't. Why? Oh, it's just nice to know when people's birthdays are. Say, Ted, when's your birthday? Oh, mine's in March, Danny. Because I wouldn't want to forget your birthdays. I'm a cancer, you know, because my birthday's in July. I mean, guys care about real important things. Right, like having fun. And friends. And birthdays. Well, girls care about more important things, like friends. And birthdays? I just have a feeling that it's somebody's birthday today. Birthdays are a wonderful thing, aren't they? (laughs) Which um, we did address this episode in our favorite birthday episodes over on Patreon. Uh, But he said that... uh, Brad and Ted's rivalry really amps up in this episode in a series of gender-oriented tasks, such as baking a cake or riding a horse or even fishing to determine which one is better in each event. And he loved how the others get in on the action, too, and how despite the competitive nature, both headstrong characters make amends by the end. Great chemistry on screen. Another season one classic. Oh, and don't eat any cupcakes if they look like dog turds. <laughs> Cassie, Cassie knows what's up, he says. <laughs> what does that dog know? Just taste it. That's always a good source of, a good source of wisdom, Cass. Advice. <laughs> Brett, if you're, if you're listening, we all, we all love you and miss you, buddy. <laughs> uh, Brett's ranking for the episode is an S, a splatterific and yes those are those are very good points uh especially coming uh what you had said adam because we do get this trope a lot uh especially in kid shows of boys versus girls uh, and yeah there is a time whenever it would mostly be the girls are smart and the boys are bumbling doofuses but this one they really did have a nice even pair where one would, I mean, they're both headstrong, 
They're both exceedingly competitive, and they both would mess up in some form or cheat in some form, but they don't call it cheating. It's kind of a loophole that they would look for. Sorry, Brad, but you lose. You didn't complete the course. You turned around before going around the barrel. You had to go around the barrel to complete the course, and you didn't, so we win. We got seven big ones here. Ted, what are you trying to pull? You bought these. Of course. We said the winner is whoever gets the most fish, not whoever catches the most. Overall, it is a very good episode, even if it's a little repetitive. Because by the time the second competition comes around, you're starting to figure out, oh, they're going to just find a way to have this end in a draw. And then they're going to do it again. And then they're going to do it again. So it gets a little repetitive. And also the fact that we've seen this trope so many times, uh, I'm going to put this as a B uh, Splatus Factory. But still a very good episode. And one of the, I think one of the classics, plus <laughs> Danny is not subtle at all in his attempts to get people to remember his birthday. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Just walks up. Yeah. When's your birthday? It would be really sad if anybody forgot your birthday, didn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, our third episode, Goldilocks. Uh, this was July 28th, 1989, also directed by Ross K. Bagwell Jr. And also written by Mr. Alan Goodman. Uh, the synopsis for this is just when Buddy takes a liking to a horse named Goldilocks at the ranch, his father and ranch owner, Mr. Ernst, makes plans to sell her. The plan upsets Buddy enough that he runs away with the horse in the open desert. What are your thoughts on Goldilocks? Hmm. A lot of thoughts. Well, first off, this is one of the episodes I do very clearly remember. It's part of it when I was a kid. Specifically, I remember that seeing the commercial for it with this thing, with it focusing on the clip between Buddy and Dad, saying, Hey, dude, hey, Dad. And then with the episode itself, it has some moments, some pretty heartwarming moments as we see Buddy finding something that he likes, but then, you know, suddenly learning he's about to lose it. Although, and then obviously, you know, everyone swing into action when they learned the immense danger Buddy had gotten himself into behind a runaway in the middle of the Arizona desert. So seeing, so seeing all of them pitch in to try and was definitely a heartwarming moment. Though, all that being said, the episode loses some points in that book for the fact that the the whole con the whole con the whole subplot involving Goldilocks, you know, gonna be sold or whatnot, it's sort of abandoned by the end. Like no one, like by the time the episode, by the time Buddy's found, there's not a, no one says a word about Goldilocks anymore. Like maybe just a teensy bit of closing, a single line, one way or another. I think would have elevated the episode a little more in my book. Okay, so what is your official ranking for it? I'd call it Splatus Factory. That's still respectable. Uh, Brett has a pretty much a single one line, a sweet, misguided story that can tug at your heartstrings, especially if you've ever run away from home as a kid before, which he has. Uh, he gives this an A for Splatsalent. Uh, on my end, if you've been watching the show for any decent amount of time, you, you will know that I am a big, big advocate for positive father figures in 
any medium. And um, Mr. Ernst, although he is often seen as a bumbling doofus, he really does love his son. And I really, really love how this episode started uh, because he was genuinely concerned for Buddy and he loves to be there. Mr. Ernst, he loves being at this new ranch. Uh, they had left. Um, it was Jersey. I know it's different from New Jersey. That's why I like it here. They were now out here in the ranch and. Mr. Ernst does not like the city. And we actually find out in another episode, we get to see mom where she's still very much a city person, but um, Mr. Ernst does, does not. He's, he's happy here. And you can see it when the very first episode, he's so everything's beautiful. He doesn't know where anything is, but he's happy to be here, but he's also worried about his son because buddy is bored and for the first half of the show, he pretends like everything's okay. He's just bored. And even at one point, Mr. Ernst stops and looks right at Buddy and says, are you sure you're okay? Are you unhappy here? Because if you are, I want you to know that you don't have to stay. I mean, I want you to stay. I, I love having you here. I just want you to be happy. Buddy, you do like the ranch, don't you? Sure, Dad. I love it. And I really appreciate the fact that Mr. Ernst is willing to listen to his son. And even by the end of the episode, whenever they find out that he's not happy there, Mr. Ernst does offer him a solution. He actually gives him the choice, do you want to go back home and stay with your mom? Or maybe we can work something out. And... But he didn't want to do that. He wants to stay with Dad. He'll he'll find a way to make it work. You miss New Jersey. Yeah, but when I'm in New Jersey, I miss you. So I guess I'll stick around here for a little while. And I really, really love that. Uh, because it's rare that you see that kind of dynamic in a kid's show, especially Nickelodeon in the 90s, because usually it's, well, I say we're staying at the ranch, so we're staying at the ranch. It's... That wasn't the case. That was, I want to hear your opinion. Well, if this isn't working, do you want to try this? No, uh, I still want to stay here with you. I really, really love that. So for that reason, that one point alone puts this in S-tier category for me. So I put this at Splatterific. Uh, episode four. Ted's Saddle. Uh, this came out August 4th, 1989, was directed by Frederick King Keller and written by Judy Spencer. Uh, Ted becomes so obsessed with obtaining a John Wayne saddle that he'll do any sort of odd job to save up and purchase it. The problem is, Ted's quest for glory and fame comes at the cost of his friends picking up the slack for his ranch duties. What are your thoughts on this episode? Hmm. Well, maybe for a pretty funny episode, though. Yeah, it definitely gains a lot of points for the fact for teaching me something I never knew about John Wayne. Apparently, he really wasn't fond of horses in real life. <laughs> John Wayne was a movie star. In real life, he disliked horses. <laughs> that was a funny tale. And it well with Ted up to that point calling him an actor, the greatest cowboy who ever lived. Yeah, I mean, Ted usually comes across as not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. This is a, a good picture of that. 
Once owned by John Wayne. I'm not listening. John Wayne, Luce, the greatest cowboy that ever lived. Well, for the most part, Ted's not going to exactly be picking up any new fans for how he acts in this episode. Though he does redeem himself by the end when he realizes what a selfish jerk he'd been. He'd been up to that point and he needs to tell uh, for the, the money she lost trying to get this for him. Yes, very much so. Uh, what is your ranking? I'd say probably I go give out the ranking you gave. We can give it as excellent. All right. Uh, Brett did not give me any additional notes for this. All I have is his ranking, which is a splatterific. Um, Brett, if you're watching this, you feel free to add uh, into in the comments uh, some of these uh, why you rated these the way you did if you want to. You don't have to. But uh, for me, yes, uh, I give this a splatcellent as well. Uh, I'd I, I have I, I think I have very much the same relationship with Ted and the show as the others do, which is a very much love hate relationship, because I I really like Ted, and then there are episodes I just don't like him, and and he's so obnoxious, and this is one of them. Um, I do understand having a passion for wanting something. And to do the extra work for it, but you only have so much time. And then the others care for him enough to put in the extra work. But they're working just as hard as he is, and they're exhausted, and he's very much taking their uh, efforts for granted. Which is a trope that you see sometimes. I mean, I, almost everything you see in Hey Dude are tropes that we've seen in other shows. Um, which is to be respected because this is their first scripted television show. So I, I can understand why they just stuck with tropes. But the thing about it is we've still seen these kinds of things before and Ted, for the most part, is just he's arrogant and that I don't really want to watch that for 24 minutes. But like you had said, I really do love that moment right at the very end, that that last three minutes of the episode, uh, because Melody did end up losing somebody's pack in the lake, and $82 came out of her paycheck to reimburse that person for what was damaged. It was too much for me, Ted. I got too tired. I put the pack down, and now the pack's at the bottom of the lake, and I'm expected to pay for it. $88. Well, that's a tough break, Mel. I mean, I'm sorry. And uh, Ted ended up taking some of that extra money that he made doing all these odd-end jobs and then gave it to Melody without admitting it was him, but she knew it was him. Well, if it was under your pillow, then it must be yours. You know, sometimes you can be a pretty terrific guy. Uh, it, it was a rare genuinely rare tender moment from Ted to show that he's not a terribly unethical person. He's just a conceited person who has a lot to learn. Yeah. And then then also then like then after that when Mr. Ernst gets in the chance to do more jobs, he he's learned his lesson because he realized that pursuing us not only is it costing himself and his friends a lot, but it's in terms of all the extra workload, but that's also honestly just kind of a stupid waste of money to just shuttle settle all that for us. So yeah, he says that he's just that he's not interested in buying in buying something that would be so wasteful he doesn't think anymore. So, good day. Learn something. Way to go. 
And and also, and I forgot to mention this in the in the Goldilocks episode. Another thing I really liked about that episode was how all of the rivalry that we've seen in the past two episodes completely subsided whenever they realized that Buddy was out in the desert. And uh, I mean, it was instant. I mean, there there was no hesitation. Uh, Ted said, "I'm going to go out and find him," and Brad said, "I'm coming with you." in case one of us needs to come back. And it was very smart planning. Well, I'm going out to that trail. Well, I'm going with you in case he's hurt. One of us can go out back for help and the other one can stay with him. Um, and and I, loved, I loved that they were all concerned for him. He appreciated that he was being concerned for. I just, it's mm, chef's kiss. I love it. Even though it's a runaway episode trope, it was done exceptionally well. Anyway, moving on. Uh, episode five, the competition. Uh... This was August 11th, 1989, was once again directed by Ross K. Backwell Jr., and it was written by Graham Yost. The synopsis for this is, What will it take for Brad and Ted to win the chance to lead an overnight camping trip through the ranch? What are your thoughts? But I, 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 say I like this episode a lot. It was re- mainly for, I think the main... The main advantage it has is the humor value, too. I mean, between first Brad variously botching the uh, CPR, dummy, complete with taking off the, the arm and then using that to sit the leg. All right, what happened to her arm? I wanted to stop the spread of poison, like you said. So you removed her entire arm? Well, that's an interesting concept. One thing, though. You removed the wrong arm. I did. Well, what about the leg? The leg I like. It's a creative solution. I'm glad to see you didn't waste anything. And just and also just Ted hiding the rubber snake in in Brad's bag. But, but the just the fact that you would do that in the midst of this competition was definitely funny. Got your knife. Got your snake. Ted had another idiot moment, you know that he didn't have the he didn't have the foresight to, to check out this area before before uh, taking Melody there to realize, oh goodness me, there is an abandoned mine shaft over here. Maybe this isn't the safest place to take a a, a blindfolded teenage girl. Now, so but then that leads to a, a pretty pretty exciting, well handled climax with Brad having to read Melody from it. I like that. I'd say, I'd say splatterific. Uh, for Brett, uh, once again, this is one that he doesn't have additional notes for. In fact, I don't think he has additional notes for the rest of this episode until the very last episode, I think. Or, or I'm sorry, the last, like, three. I'm looking at him now. No, I think the last episode is the only one he really has a note for. But uh, for this episode in particular, the rating he gave it was a B, a satisfactory. And for me, I also give it a B. Uh, for the, it, it's, again, another trope. And I do like that it was between Brad and Melody this time and not Brad, Brad and Ted like it had been. And... Um, it's more of an opportunity to showcase Melody because up to this point, she's just been the cheerful, happy, uh, I, I like to help people type personality, but we get to see it fleshed out a little bit more in this episode. 
Um, I don't know. I, I I still have a hard time really buying Melody as being something of a competitor. I see her more as a people-pleasing person. But uh, even then, the episode up to that point was pretty standard, uh, and it was it was decent. I enjoyed it. But yeah, much like you had pointed out, whenever Ted was just being completely unprepared and left Melody blindfolded near an abandoned mine shaft, I'm like, oh, come on, dude. How how are you not fired by this point? I mean, like that goes beyond just incompetence. That's blatantly putting a co-worker's safe in serious jeopardy. That is a fireable places. Yes. Uh, no. You you are gone. Uh, the fact that you're not gone by the end of this really says a lot about Mister Ernst and his uh, inability to really pay attention to his uh, to his uh, crew. But overall, it's a decent episode. Uh, a bit a big plot hole or mine hole throughout it, but for the most part, it's it's a decent. It's a good. It's a good romp. Uh, number episode six, rehearsal for romance. Air date was August eighteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Was directed by Frederick King Keller, written by Michael B. Kaplan. And the synopsis is when a college boy shows up at the ranch and asks teenage Melody out. She asks Ted's help for advice so she can make a lasting impression on her date. Adam, what are your thoughts? Thoughts was a nice. Nice, sweet little little uh, romance scene episode. I mean, she seemed to, seemed to really like like this guy. He seemed like a, like a good guy, and I liked you know her wanting to connect with him. Let's see, then some some pretty funny moments with with obviously goofy advice. Some of the things that that she, that uh, he suggests. Now I'll be this guy, and I'll say to you, Melody, blah 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 blah, and you say, Wait a minute, what did you say? Huh. It doesn't matter. Anything I say, just just say, that's the most interesting thing I've ever heard. But then also also a pretty good demo with, with the the little Indian folktale chairs. But the deer's sharp hoof cut the fox up very badly because the fox didn't have a hard shell like the turtle. And the moral of the story is, if you're a fox, don't try to be a turtle. And like and the the moral of the end of it, the uh, if you're a fox, don't be a turtle. At first, it just seems like kind of. First, here it seems sort of like a. Huh? Like, does that mean kind of a thing? But then, in the very, but then in the, in the end, when you see Melody indeed connected with the guy by being herself, you know, plays that really sweet music, and then you hear Danny's voice reprising that way, like, oh yeah, now I get it. It's basically so. Yes, it's a be yourself. Don't try and don't try and be something not to impress to impress people or meet your goals. You know, be yourself. So yeah. Good, good, any wisdom to cap off a good episode. I'd say splatterific. All right, we, we're we're all all around it this episode. Uh, Brett gave it a double S. Uh, I am assuming because he also really resonated with that message. Um, uh, I give it an A, uh, splatcellent, and I really like the way it was handled. Uh, I've. The the problem is I'm rating this uh, against other romance episodes of Nickelodeon, and uh, I, I'm 
holding it to a higher standard than I probably should. But uh, I do really like this episode. It's it's adorable to see Melody bumbling and trying to impress somebody. And uh, I mean, she's she's sweet. She's kind. All we we all know it. All she has to do is be herself. But I really do love that Ted thinks so highly of himself and gives advice and it all goes awful. And I love that by the end of it, she was thanking Ted for his advice. And he was all arrogant and full of himself. Like, ah, yes, it worked, huh? And then she was like, I just did the opposite of everything you told me and it worked. I was like, (laughs) I love that moment. My advice worked, huh? Well, kind of. I mean, everything went wrong until I finally figured out to do the opposite of everything you said. But then it went great. So thanks, Ted. I owe it all to you. In fact, good general advice for the series as a whole. If Ted suggests you do something, <laughs> do the opposite. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> But uh, it's it's a very good episode. I really do enjoy it. And uh, obviously, uh, Adam enjoyed it even higher and Brett even higher than that. It's, it's a very, very well done episode. And also, I think it was the only one that ended with a voiceover on top of it as they were fading out, do, doing the, the turtle quote again. And also a rare moment for us to really see uh, Danny's tender side a little bit. Because we've seen Danny be sympathetic on occasion. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, he's, I don't want to say he's an instigator, but he does love to uh, pour salt in an open wound, which is kind of fun to see. Ha! Ha ha! Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Danny! What? No. Wait, just one more. Ha! Okay, I'm done. Yeah, he has a strong sense of mischief to, to him. Part of, my, part of my favorite character as an adult. Uh, and and he's so he's so laid back and, and and plays it so innocently that he can get away with it, uh, which I think is 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 absolutely brilliant. So, what are the stakes going to be? I like my stakes medium rare. But um, he also does have a genuine heart, uh, more so than I think Ted does. And the moral of the story is, if you're a fox, don't try to be a turtle. <laughs> oh, I'm excited about this one. Uh, episode... Oh, I just realized this too. Episode 7, Perfect Father. Uh, this air date for this is August 25th, 1989. It was directed by Frederick King Keller. was written by Graham Yost. The synopsis for this is, despite not having time for his son, Mr. Ernst and Buddy team up to foil the plans of a father and son thief duo planning to rob everyone at the ranch. Adam, what are your thoughts? I'd say this is, this is one of the, the better episodes of the of this season that I can recall seeing. I mean, had, had some good action, had some mostly great father and son moments. I'd say even even better than the Goldilocks one. I mean, like, like you kind of relate in this Cats in the Cradle kind of way, the first, actually a major Cats in the Cradle sort of way with, you know, first uh, just not having enough time for, to really be there for Buddy and, and spend time with him and as things go on and as as Buddy gets 
get gets closer to this other guy, seeing him as a father figure. All of a sudden, you know, insurance wants you to spend buddy now, but uh, doesn't have time. Doesn't have time for him now. You know, and the cat's in the cradle and the silver. <laughs> and a couple good laughs, like the spy camera blinding him bri- briefly. Ah, ah, I'm blinded. But then, yeah, the twist I could see coming. I mean. I mean, you you know this this guy is he's just too perfect. You know that he's got some major skins in his closet, and sure enough, he does. So even though I was able to see it coming a mile away, it was hand, the guy, the actor playing him, handled it well. You know, both both how genuinely friendly and warm he seemed at the start, and then how vicious, cruel his his delivery was in the end when when the major is revealed. Well, I have to be honest with you. I taught my son Jay how to throw the lasso, and I thought maybe if I taught you, it might recapture the feeling. But if you don't want to... No, no, that's okay. Great, let's move over here, then. Enough of this shutterbugging. You're going to get your wish, it looks like. What do you mean? You're coming with me. I thought that was a nice performance from him. When, and uh, Mr. Ernst has a genuinely sad line halfway through, and says something like, don't blame you, I wouldn't want me or father either. Dad, I was just kidding. Hey, don't worry about it. No, you're right to be humiliated. I wouldn't want to have me as a father either. Dad! So, but then that makes it all the more sweeter when the two of the new reconcile and prove that they, actually, they are the superior father and son compared to these two crooks. Our father and son team beat yours. I think we make a pretty good team, don't you, buddy? Absolutely. <laughs> so, big props for... For this episode, I'd give it a splat ending. And Brett gave this a splatterific, a single S. And I am going to echo your sentiment, Adam, and give this a double S. I absolutely love this episode. I think this might be my favorite episode of the season. Again, because of the father-son aspect. But there's also one more reason. (laughs) Uh... Because I've made this abundantly clear on the show. I am a huge, huge James Bond fan. And the fact that the the show started with Buddy wanting to play with spy equipment. And then later when the, uh, the con artist showed up and started talking about all this spy stuff. And he's like, oh, yes, my son used to have all these. He used to go around the house pretending to be James Bond. I instantly perked up and went, hmm, what, hmm? Well, my son used to have one just like it, and his spy kit called Secret Sam. We spent more hours with that kid. I'd be some sort of double agent, and he'd be James Bond. And plus, I've, I love the fact that James Bond is 007, and this is on the seventh episode. Uh, would, oh, good point. I never really, that never occurred to me. Uh, and that just, I just thought of that whenever I was reading the synopsis, and then that's why I went, oh, I just not realized this. I didn't put together that it was the seventh episode. But outside of the James Bond thing... Yes, I really do love this episode. Uh, I love uh, all the points that you pointed out about the cats in the cradle um, analogy here. And um, once again, showing just how much they do love each other, even though uh, that Buddy is disappointed that Dad's always busy having to be on the ranch. And same with uh, Mr. Ernst. He's bummed about the fact that he has to work and doesn't have the time to spend with his son and then actually gets uh, a bit uh, heartbroken by it. Uh, A favorite moment of mine is whenever we don't actually see it happen, but it's when 
the con artist is uh, spitting fire. And we we actually see a flamethrower, I'm assuming is what it was, in uh, Mr. Ernst's glasses. Uh, so it, it wasn't just a flash of light with a sound effect. You actually see fire going across the glasses in, in the reflection. I thought, ooh, they had a budget for this one. And they didn't even show it on camera. <laughs> Which also I thought was great that he's he's uh being he's spitting fire uh, or or uh, I forgot what they're I forgot what they called the actual term, but it's not just a little puff puff of fire like you would get sometimes with those kind of performers. No full <laughs> the full flame. <laughs> great, buddy, thanks. Okay now, everyone stand back. Oh gosh, I love that. But uh yes, great episode. Definitely a favorite. Double S. Uh episode eight. The good, the bad, and the obnoxious. Uh September first, nineteen eighty-nine is the air date, and it was directed by Frederick King Keller, and it was written by Clifford Fagan. The synopsis for this is when Brad's rich uppity friend shows up at the ranch. She has a hard time balancing her relationship with her and her fellow employee friends. Uh, what are your thoughts on this episode? Was it Kim? Was it? I believe it was. You know, her catty remarks to Brad, and then, and then the way she was treating Dan in in order around. Now lower the back one stop. Is that one stop? It feels like two stops. Are you deaf? It dev- definitely got some laughs down when she gets thrown up, when she gets pushed for a horse and lands in the manure. I don't have all day, Bradley. Let's go! Looking up with for like a full on Biff Tannen movie, but just that, just the mention of it. Manure! <laughs> <laughs> I hate manure! Just the mention that I haven't was able to bring out a good <laughs> from me. Did you see that? Did you see what she did? What is that smell? Let go of my hand, creep. That smell is you, babe. <laughs> so what is your uh, ranking of the episode? Let's see. I'd, I'd say probably splat stain. Uh, Brett, for this episode, gave it a B, and I'm only assuming it's because he really did not like Kimberly in this episode, which I can totally understand. Um, and again, pure assumptions. Uh, I give this a- an S. I give this splatterific. And the reason I rated this so high is because I had to deal with people like this in elementary school. Uh, I, I don't know if I've really said this on the podcast before, but whenever I was in elementary school, I was bullied a lot. And um, I, I, I didn't have really any rich, uppity people that I had to go to school with, but I did have people who treated me very much in the same attitude that Kimberly was treating uh, Brad in this episode. Very, very much, as I like to phrase it, my poop don't steep type personality. And um, seeing how everyone was really taking to Brad in this episode 
and being defensive of her. And the moment they realized that Brad was right about her kind of attitude, even Ted, who was very much just seeing her physical figure and really liked her, and then realized, no, Brad's right. This is just absolute trash. And then just dropped her for a second time in the manure, uh, which I thought was great. That he went from yeah, just basically thinking with his hormones to like, this this girl is horrible. She is not worth time. Yes, yes. But also the thing that I really, really respected about this episode was the talk that Lucy gave to Brad in this episode. Um, because we don't see this type of conversation take place in episodes that even are this kind of trope. Because uh, usually you would see that they give the handshake and everything's fine by the end of the episode and they'll be fine for the for for all for all time. And we do get a handshake in this. But even then, what I like more about this episode is that Brad is willing to forgive her and let all this go. Not so that way. Kimberly will stop being awful to her but so that way brad will begin to let go of all this frustration that she's holding i just wanted to say that i truly regret any unpleasantness my behavior may have caused you i'm not sure that's an apology kimberly i'm not sure that's exactly an apology either but it is the way i truly feel and i'd like to start with that because there are so few shows that really tap on forgiveness and who forgiveness really is for. And uh, I really, really respect that this uh, episode for that reason. I thought they handled that very, very well. Love this one. <laughs> Rain Men, episode nine. Uh, air date for this was September 8th, 1989. It was directed by Ross K. Bagwell Jr. and written by, oh gosh, here we go with the names, Mark Curelli. I hope I pronounced that right. You, you guys know how wonderful I am with names. Uh, the synopsis for this episode is when a drought strikes the Bar Nun Ranch, Danny must search inside of himself to find the answer, whether that boils down to helping his friends or stay true to his roots as a Native American. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This was a solid one. I mean, right like I said, as an adult, solidly Team Danny. He's officially my favorite character in the show. And one thing that I liked about him, actually, that in a way, although I didn't really understand it as a kid, kind of liked it even then, is, well, while he's obviously an American, you know, the show doesn't really harp, harp on him. You know, only a tiny part of his personality. But this is an episode that deals with that aspect of his personality, but done in just a in a way that's respectful, not not heavy-handed, just kind of showing that this is what he is. These are some of his beliefs. This is some of how he and his people get along and feel about things. So that was a solid way of teaching kids about those kinds of those kinds of things, you know, and treating others with, with a basic dignity and, and and their beliefs. So, props for that. I have a splashing it. All right. Uh, Brett also gives this a splat standing in A. Um, 
I want to give it an A or higher. I really, really, really do. But I don't know. There's something about the way they they handled Ted's absolute insensitivity towards uh, Danny's uh, Native American culture that I don't think that has aged well. That that the way Ted handled it, because even after he realized, thanks to Melody, how he crossed a line for his heritage, he seems like okay. I, I understand. Oh man, that was a really jerk thing to do. And then he goes back and apologizes, and then pushes even further. Uh, of well, how about you just do a little rain dance, or teach me to do a rain dance? You haven't listened to anything. You've not stop, stop this, stop all of this. Rain dance. You're an Indian. It's natural for you. I've only seen one rain dance, and that was on a TV nature show. Watch me. Ted, this is something that's very important to my people, something that goes back thousands of years. Like if you went to Europe, okay, and some guy asked you what you were, you'd say? I'm an American. The same guy took out an American flag and made fun of it. You would? <sighs> punch his lights out. Oh, wow. I'm sorry about before, okay? I realize that this rain dancing thing is very important to you. Thanks. I thought you could teach me how to do it. And, and that bothered me some. And also, I don't know, I feel like it, it's completely out of character for Danny. As much as he loves to prank and he loves to do little jokes and loves to um, be a little mischievous, we can see in this episode just how important his heritage is. And he's trying to explain to Mr. Ernst, because, again, there's a drought in this episode and they have to hire... The only uh, digger, uh, well digger in the area is Indian. And Mr. Ernst ended up offending the, uh, the uh, albeit unintentionally. And then Danny explained to him, Do, you offended him and here's how you offended him. That's $2,500. That's, uh, well, that's just not in the budget. How about a buck? Umanyuma. A buck a foot. That's uh, that's five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars cash. And uh, hey, I'll uh, I'll pop for lunch. What do you say? No, Mr. Ernest. It most definitely does not. I can see that we haven't seen nothing more to talk about. He felt you were questioning his price. To an Indian, that's a major insult. It's like you questioned his honesty. Oh, great. The only well digger in town, and I insult him. What do I do now? And then he became apologetic, and he wanted to apologize. Never had the opportunity. And then by the end of the episode, he's praying to an Indian spirit. What am I supposed to do here, huh? I know I've never talked to you like this before. Okay, I've never even spoken to you before, but I need your help. And gets an idea. And I was thinking the idea would be to show the the well digger how important this area is to them and uh, possibly start a conversation between he and Mr. Ernst about he didn't mean to do this and try to explain that's where I thought they were going where they went was he's going to do more practical jokes showing that nature itself is responding to uh, or, and the spirits are upset because he's not going to help them. These beautiful, thirsty flowers. 
I said the flowers. If you don't help us, hundreds of plants and animals may die. They all depend on water, the very essence of life. He already has such a strong connection with his heritage that he's going to manipulate that heritage to get this guy to do something. And that feels very that that feels more like a Ted thing and less like a Danny thing. And um and I'm really happy that they didn't paint this this guy stupid. He knew what they were doing. He knew that they he was on to their shenanigans from the very beginning and even had a confrontation, albeit a very polite one, with Danny saying, Yeah, I knew what you were doing. But and and go back to the point that I had earlier, it just shows me how much the this place really does mean to you. And I like that he wasn't an idiot. Especially the flowers. You knew? Well, let's just say I've seen that kind of thing before. But I do wish that the writers would have made Ted a little less uh, of offensive to Danny's character, I should say. Uh, after he's already been established that, dude, you that you crossed the line. And then I also wish that Danny wouldn't have pretty much gone full Ted and tried to use his heritage to manipulate somebody else. But the message is still a great message, even if it is a bit out of character for, for Danny. Uh, so for this, I give it a B, a Splatus Factory. All right. Well, we have made it a little past the halfway point for, uh, for the season. So what we're going to do is... I'm going to head over into the Bar None uh, mess hall and see if I can get my, get some cactus juice and get out of this hot sun for a bit. Everyone chill for a bit. Get out of the sun. Take your hats off. Take off your boots. Get the sand out from them. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. Sit tight. Hey, dude, we'll mosey on back after this. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Splat Attack. If you are enjoying this episode, please hit the like button, subscribe, and make sure to hit that notification bell. If you are listening on a podcast app, make sure to leave us a review. These very simple actions help others stay with a nostalgic fun. Make sure to join us over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack to get access to exclusive episodes, exclusive bonus minisodes, a couple live streams a month, as well as just getting together and having a good time with other like-minded gackoids. So head over to patreon.com slash splatattack. Tune in next time, Slimesters, when we deck the halls and shave some yaks. Because we're celebrating not one Christmas ritual, but two. Ren and Stimpy have invited us to partake in their festivities in a Yuletide brawl of an episode battle between Son of Stimpy and a scooter for Yaxmas. So we're eager to see who will bring the heat beside the cozy fireplace. You can find all the retrorific action only here on Splat Attack. Make sure to hit up our bonfire if you want some sweet Nick merch. We've got some Splat Attack original shirts and coffee mugs, as well as shirts that are designed, influenced from other nostalgic 90s Nickelodeon shows, like Legends of the Hidden Temple, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Lewis Explains It All, Double Dare, and more. So go check that out over at bonfire.com slash store slash Splat Attack store, with hyphens in between.
You are in the Ozone. And now, back to Hey Dude. All right, everybody. We're going to head back out into the ranch and see if we can start doing our chores around the uh, ranch and see what all Lucy's got in mind for us. So we're going to start taking a look at the 10th episode of the season, Ted and Brad Get Handcuffed. Very original title. Uh, the air date for this was September 15th, 1989. It was directed by Ross K. Bagwell Jr. and written by Graham Yost. The synopsis for this is Ted's plan to get closer to Brad backfires when they get handcuffed together. And what are your thoughts on this one? <laughs> the one thing is that, yeah, as Brad is his that's the one thing I'm going to give credit for is I liked in a loose up a couple of the giants. parts of the business the dream basically ending of the able to situation. I know some of these words. And what is your rating of it? I agree with you and Brett. Wow, this is the first one that all three of us are going to be uh, in simpatico. Uh, Brett gives this a C, and he does have a note for this one. The weakest episode of the season. Why? The trope is overdone and the humor dries up faster than a well in the desert. And I very, very much echo that sentiment. Um, we've seen this trope in so many shows, even within Nickelodeon, and uh, often done better. And Brad and Ted already are constantly at each other's throats. I don't need an episode where they're handcuffed together at even closer proximity and being even more ruthless to each other than they've ever really have been. Um, I do like the point at the end, once again, when Lucy was telling Brad, you've, you've gone a little too far this time with some of the things that you've said towards Ted. But at the same time, I'm thinking, yeah, well, <laughs> what about Ted? He goes over the line all the time. No one tells him that, at least not on, on camera. But... It's it's not a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the weakest of the season, and it's just definite average. Uh, episode 11, Suspicion. Air date for this was September 22nd, 1989, and it was directed by Frederick King Keller, and the writer was Clifford Fagan. Uh, synopsis for this are, The employees at the ranch suspect one of their guests has committed a murder. Must find out. Who done it? Hmm. Yeah, this is another episode that I pretty distinctly remember watching. I especially remember things like a whole whole thing about wiping his dad his dad's credit card so, so that Ted could use it to somehow pick the locked door. By the way, that that usually that only in real life that only rarely ever works. And I'm glad that this episode is that because then Ted then a break. Look, I've seen it done a thousand times. It's a piece of cake. Just give me a minute. Uh-oh. What uh-oh? No. That's the, 
the fact that it was it was worse than how the how terms like shoot and blow up can use in figurative sense. You were gonna shoot me because they wanted a new face to star in the commercial. I thought you had the look. I was gonna take some shots. Blowing up the bar none? You know, blow up, like blow up a picture, make it bigger. So the episode does kind of lose points. I mean, we've seen this kind of thing all the. That's another episode with the trope. This gay guy who they think is is dangerous, but you know, he turns out to be a reasonable addition. It's another case in which I'd agree with both you and Brett. Splatisfactory. Yes, Br- Brett gave this one a B as well. Splatisfactory. He does have a note for this one as well. The whodunit trope doesn't work for me on the ranch, and the payoff leaves a bit uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Also, why does the culprit sound so familiar? Well, now that you mention it, there is one kid that might be. Hey, no problem. I'll take care of him tomorrow. Yeah, maybe I'll shoot him in the corral. The thing that really got to me wasn't necessarily the trope of the whodunit thing within the within the ranch. That that doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is how everyone didn't believe Ted. Because if you think about that, you guys were just having two con artist thieves not even five episodes ago. You've had people in this area who are trying to go under the radar and uh, could be doing something very shady. You, you've had this already. And Ted is not one to over-exaggerate about guests. He will over-exaggerate about girls. He will over-exaggerate about himself. But he's never over-exaggerated about a guest before that's not a girl. And uh, again, you've had criminals here already. So how is nobody even going to try and question is this really happening? Is this something worth looking into? Uh, should we call the authorities? Should we do something? And it wouldn't have played... It still would have played out relatively the same, but it would have made for a very different character dynamic that probably would have flowed a little bit easier. Uh, but overall, even even with that one one gripe about it, it's not bad. It's There's nothing about it that's great. It's not really top-tier by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also not weak. It's still a pretty fun romp, even if by the end of it, uh, whenever they're revealing everything uh, that was really happening, that we all saw coming a mile away, it's it, it's hokey, it's cheesy, it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. Uh, so, Lattice Factory. Uh, episode 12 employee of the week uh air date for this is september 29th 1989 it was directed by ross k bagwell jr and written by alan goodman synopsis for this is 
To boost morale, Mr. Ernst establishes a competition for the ranch staff to determine who is worthy of being deemed Employee of the Week. What are your thoughts on this one? I'd say mostly pretty solid. Even though it wasn't pleasant at times seeing Melly tapping in her bad side, he plus Ted actually had a good point in basically saying, Look, I want to wear it there, but I know that if what wins, we can, we can Mr. Ernst to consider out of it. Oh, that's actually pretty, pretty solid reasoning for Ted. So, pretty, pretty good use to Ted. So, and of course, a lot of what most of them ran screw over each other and ended with Danny, with Danny imitating Mr. Ernst, complete with a hat. I'm glad you could all be here this afternoon. I have a very important announcement to make. What is it, Mr. Ernst? It's in regards to new policy here for you to get everything you've ever wanted. Oh, please, anything but that. For Ted, a bonus. <laughs> all right. All the money you can fish out of the wishing well with your teeth. I'd say splatterific. All right, and Brett gave us a double S splat standing. This one was a ton of fun. Loved the goofy regalia everyone had to wear, uh, even though Mr. Ernst was the only one who enjoyed wearing it. And uh, I did enjoy this episode as well. Uh, I didn't go as high up as Brett did, but I do tie alongside with uh, Adam's suggestion with an, uh, an S for Splatterific. Uh, I did like that we got to see Melody and Ted uh, really at each other. But even then, it really felt like Melody's not trying to compete. Ted is trying to compete with her. And she's just getting fed up with it. I only got into it because you cared so much. Uh-uh. I just got fed up with everyone's attitudes. Especially Ted's. You know, I'd really like to show him. Now you're starting to sound like him. Oh, come on. I don't care about it that much. I could buy that more than I could buy Melody and Brad competing uh, earlier in the season. Because uh, she even had admitted, I just got tired of all of your attitudes towards this employee of the week thing. Because uh, Mr. Ernst is really trying to do something and get us excited about this kind of thing. And um, then Ted was just being Ted and pushed it too far. And uh, yes, I, I loved Danny at the end pretending to be Mr. Ernst. Uh, I loved all of the goofy um, sales items that Mr. Ernst was making. Uh, it, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, it, it is very, very much fun. Uh, a really good, clever use of all the characters for this. Uh, because I liked how Brad was totally in on doing this until there was a bowling trophy and then she was like no i'm not doing that i have never bowled i never will bowl and i can't allow anyone to think that i ever would bowl and then danny was all for it until he realized that, that there's going to be a little princess tiara involved and no i don't want to do that either i'm out there's no way i'm dressing up like a beauty queen but i like how by the end of it they all were instead of it being employee of the month it's boss of the century or something to that extent and gave it to Mr. Ernst and I thought I thought that was really sweet. Mr. Ernst, we'd like to present you with this. 
No, we've got to make it official. Oh, no, no. I crown the best boss of the decade. Wait, All right, right. Right. Uh, our last episode of the season, episode 13, Pain in the Neck. The air date for this was October 6, 1989. Director was Ross K. Bagwell Jr. once again, written by Judy Spencer. The synopsis for this is, Danny breaks his neck after Ted's distraction with girls goes too far and causes Danny to fall off of a ladder. Now it's up to Ted to make amends by waiting hand and foot on Danny while he recovers. What are your thoughts on this one? This is another episode which had at least one moment that I remembered as, a, as both a kid and an adult, which was the, the moment when Danny actually falls, how I found it. On the one hand, rather horrifying because he could have easily been killed by that, but at the same time, delivering that yellow falls. Hey, Shelly, where are you going? Don't let go of the ladder! Yeah, especially when we got and it's just, you found them on little a little more relief. So, and it really considering that he's doing one of the so yeah, he's he's a little little tough. everyone was at least trying to supply something to help him. You know, to lose his with some honestly boring reading material. So, oh, I'd say splatterific. Uh, Brett gave this an A, splat standing. I only remembered this one for Danny wearing a neck brace as a kid because it looked so strange to me until I learned what it was. Classic, I'll be your slave to make it up to you trope, which is done well without being too overbearing. And um, yes, this is that trope uh, where we have seen somebody injured or sick and they have to stay bedridden and they would give a bell to the person in bed. No, no, you stay and rest. Ring the bell if you need me for anything. And, of course, that person would completely abuse that right and, and constantly ring it and ask for everything under the sun. Will you fluff my pillow, please? Would you fluff my pillow? Will you sing me a song to sleep? You want me to sing to you? I, I'd like to read a magazine. I've read this one. Read it, read it, read it. Oh, that one's okay. Got it. My mistake. I've read this one too. The a rare time that we really get to see Danny really push the mischievous character, but um, and also to see Ted genuinely upset over his actions because he knows it's his fault that Danny is in the condition that he's in. But then to find out later, Danny's been faking it the whole time, just. To, in a way, get back at Ted for his selfish attitude and not really paying attention to his friends. Um, again, much like the some of the other episodes in the season where it's a trope that we've seen many, many times but done better in other areas, it's, it's good. It's a fun episode. It's not my favorite, but it's not one that I despise either. Uh, I give this a B, Spotisfactory. And that leaves us with the season one 
overall, uh, what do you rate season one? I'd have to be with you and Brett. It's excellent. I mean, I mean, see that episode. were really dumb. Some were super funny. Some had moments. Some like the father and the best overall. So, no, yeah, it tastes excellent. But pretty darn good. Yes, uh, very, very good. It, it is a good season. Uh, teetering on being great. Uh, Brett gave this a splatsalent, an A. Uh, he says, though I hadn't ever had the chance to explore the full series yet, the f- this first one leaves me with a lukewarm feeling of Wild West nostalgia. Very much like our My Brother and Me ranking, most episodes are good, a few are great, and one or two are just meh. There's just something I love about all the characters' chemistry that works so well for me, like they're my family away from home, that I can't help but have a soft spot for this season. It's charming in all of its simplicity, drama, and goofy moments at the bar none. Every 90s Nick fan's bucket list travel destination. Watch it at least once if you haven't already. And uh, I, I do echo the same sentiment. Um... It's amazing to me uh, because I'm uh, part of the, I've said this before, a 90s Nick Facebook groups. And every time this one gets shared, there's a lot of people who will say one of three things. They will either say, oh my gosh, I forgot all about this show. I absolutely love this show. Or the second thing they'd say is, man, that theme song slaps. Or (laughs) the third thing they would say is, Oh my gosh, I hated this show. I was so bored. And for those who say I was bored, go back and watch it again. <clears throat> because I I was that kid. I was the one who was bored with it as a kid, but I wasn't the target demographic at the time. I was too far too young for it at first. It's really, uh, I, I'd say probably around eight, nine years old to preteen years. Um, I was far too young, but they really have good messages for kids uh, told in a way that is completely understandable. Uh, a lot of the hijinks and antics are so most of the time off screen, but they do that for safety concerns because, um, I mean, you're you're on a dude ranch. Uh, you, there's only so many things that you are allowed to do with underage performers. And... Um, and yes, the, the cast works great together. It, I think, if anything, that might draw people away is some of the actors' delivery of some of the jokes. Because you have some really, really good performers, and then you have some who you can tell are not actors. But they're trying, and they're having fun. They just don't know how to deliver the punchlines quite well. And, and poor Mr. Ernst. He gets all all the goofy things happen to him, and I think they even said at the convention that uh, Mr. Bressman, I think was his name, uh, they had said that he was absolutely hilarious to work with, and all of the funny things that he said, none of it could be filmed on television. <laughs> he, he had a lot of uh, jokes that 
you could only share with adults. And uh, there, there is a gag reel. The Bob Saget kind of figure. Yeah, there, there is a gag reel floating around on on YouTube. Uh, I'll put a link to it if you guys want to check it out. If you have kids, uh, don't watch it with the kids around because there, there is some colorful language in it. But that's part of the fun too is is you get to hear them be themselves and not portray the characters. I hate this stupid rain. I'm going back to New Jersey. Well, well, I hate this stupid scene. Let's listen up here. I have a very exciting announcement for you today. I'm getting married. No, I'm... What? I'm coming out of the closet. No, I'm... Hey, there's Brad. Brad! Oh, no, no, don't, don't wave! Don't wave! Oh, oh, oh. Shit! It, it is a very fun series. And uh, definitely worth checking out and revisiting if you've not done so in a long time. You can find it all on Paramount+. Plus, uh, and it is also available on DVD if you can find it on uh, Amazon or someplace like that. So definitely check it out. I also give it a splatzelent, an A. All right. We are going to have a, a quick segment of Retro Replay. We're going to see how observant Adam is on uh, some some trivia questions we've got. So we're going to get the VHS tape out, and we're going to do a round of Retro Replay. Retro Replay! Alrighty, all of you Slimesters, if you have never seen Retro Replay before, the way this is going to work is I am going to play a clip for Adam to see, and uh, then I will ask him a question based on the clip we just saw and see if he's noticed the, some of the small details. So I'm going to share this screen with you. Who's the best? Guys, who's going to win? The guys! Guys, 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 guys! 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 Go! Alrighty, and your question for that clip is... How many times does Ted and Danny say, guys? Yeah, how many times did they say the word guys? I believe it was ten did Did you say ten? What was your... It was 10? You said 10? Yeah. Uh, it, you were close. It was 12. Who's the best? Guys! Who's gonna win? The guys! 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 Go! Very close. All right. Clip number two. This is from Ted's Saddle. This guy sounds like a complete jerk. I mean, how could anybody be so selfish and uncaring? You know, I'll tell you, Brad, if your friend really likes this guy, then she'll find some way to tell him, because he's liable to end up with no friends at all. Ted. Look, I got to get going, you know. I got Mr. Thomas's boots to deliver, and there's Mrs. Huff's Ted riding went. lesson. And uh, later, I promise Billy Frankel I'd teach him how to whistle. And your question for the second clip is, how does Brad pay Ted for his therapy session? Hmm, that's... Oh, actually, that's too, like... 
doesn't mean that the thing. I remember, like, he Yes, she she smeared the sh the boot polish all over his face. How's this? So yes, absolutely, you got that one right. Most fault is perfect for third I'd say. All right, let's see. Now we go on to clip number three. This was from the sixth episode, which is rehearsal for romance. I am very proud to announce the introduction of a complete line of bar none merchandise. Bar none spaghetti sauce, bar none pickles, bar none mayonnaise, bar none boot polish, and bar none salad dressing. The bar none bow tie, bowler hat, suspenders, and the bar none dress socks. All right, and your third question is... Name four items that Mr. Ernst is making available for purchase. Mayonnaise, boot polish. Boot polish. There you go. You you got uh, you got all you got four exactly what you needed. So you're good. All right, we're going to move on to our fourth question, which is from the eighth episode. That is the good, the bad, and the obnoxious. Ted? Whoa, Ted. Oh, hey, Luce. Hey, Ted. Listen, I'm going to give you some advice about women. Oh, yeah? Anything. Truly, won't get you the first base. <laughs> and your question for the fourth clip is... What color is the handkerchief that Lucy Lucy used to mimic wiping away Ted's drool? That's another question. It's like purple. Yes, it is purple. Very good. All right, clip number five. We are into episode 10. Ted and Brad get handcuffed. The way you've been, I'd rather be handcuffed to a pit bull who hasn't eaten in three weeks. Oh, yeah? Well, I'd rather be handcuffed to a... Oh, come on. Hit me with your best shot. To... Yeah, you can do it, Brad. Come on. To... Don't disappoint me. Oh, oh call a doctor. Somebody call a doctor. The insult sector of her brain is seized up. And question for clip number five. Why was Ted fake calling for a doctor? The insult sec sector of her brain wasn't working. Absolutely right. The insult sector of Brad's brain had seized up. Uh, seized up, yeah. Yeah, you, you got it. All right, two questions left. We are on to episode 12, Employee of the Week. The specially chosen staff member will also receive... A bonus? More goof-off time? A nice letter home telling our parents we won? Good double desserts? No. And question is, name three of the four prizes that the staff listed off. Easy. Uh, a bonus, extra goof-off time, double desserts. All right, you All got right. it. Do you know the fourth one? The fourth one was a, a letter letter home telling the winner's parents that they won. And I think they even listed this list three or four times in the episode. <laughs> and our final question is from the last episode, Pain in the Neck. A little dry rot up there. So anyway, I've been making a list here of all the things we need to be taken care of. And uh, 
I'd like you to make a list, too. Loose roof tile. There you go. All right, question is, how many flowers are on Mr. Ernst's shirt? Mm, I missed that one, was it four? Uh, there were 10. Ten were on his shirt. There was two up uh, on his uh, right under his shoulders, one on the back, two on the back of his shoulder, uh, two below his chest pockets, and then two on his uh, collar. That was way on that one. That was a that was a very very small detail. It's like oh well we'll throw that one in there. But still, that is very respectable. Of the seven questions, you got five of them right. So well done. Thanks. All right. Well, that is going to be it for this episode, Slimesters. We are going to go to our closing question for all of you. Which of these Hey Dude episodes resonated with you the most and why? You can write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com, or you can DM us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, all the socials at Splat Attack Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, Splat Attack Podcast. Interact with us wherever you can on social media. We're always happy to hear from you. And as for... Uh, even though Brett couldn't be here, I really want to thank you, Adam, for taking the time to be here. I know that you and, and Brett are friends, and it was actually because you and Brett had started conversing to be a part of this episode, you still wanted to be here for it. And it really means a lot to me. And it was great to get to meet you. So thank you so much for being here this episode. Likewise. Oh, and if I may shameless plug, I, yes. I wrote a blog called The Nightcrawler Experience. Basically, my two main passions are pop culture and my faith as a Christian. So basically, it's be combining those two, giving perhaps based reviews of movies and shows or devotionals themed around them. And I often do nostalgic entertainment. Like the most recent one that I did near Halloween was looking at the Artifact of the Dark episode, uh, the tale of Wild in the Dark from a Christian perspective. And so this, this if, any, if anyone's so inclined, it's, I put, I put it, I usually put it in every one to three months at nightcrawlerexperience.blogspot.com. Yes, we'll definitely be putting that in our uh, in the description, and everyone go check it out. Be supportive. You guys are all awesome. Th and Adam, again, thank you so much for being here. It really means a lot to me, so thank you. You're quite welcome. All righty. Until next time, I need to scrape the slime off of this wall. I've got to help Ted clean up after a horse kicked him into some mud. Well, you helped him, Danny, and I'm going to to go dry off Mr. Ernst after he fell into a trouble just now. These boys sure do love to horse around, <laughs> don't they? You can say that. <laughs> Slad you later, Slimesters. Watch out for those fighting jackrabbits and those killer cacti.
deal. I'm adding... The bonus Ted asked for. No. <laughs> the letter home that Danny asked about. No, no, you'll never guess. <laughs> or goof off time for me. Or double the dirt. Sorry. Double the dirt. Hi, Danny. I'll be back in an hour with my drills. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Oh, yeah! One more time, yeah! You got it, yeah! A plethora of yeahs! <laughs>